We're in John 15 this morning. We're going to look at the first 17 verses, best we can in a short period of time. And I'm speaking on the topic of fruitfulness, fruitfulness, how God can work in our lives to give to us optimum productivity, maximum fruitfulness in our lives. John 15, verses 1 through 17, would you follow along as I read, please? Jesus said, I'm the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, vine dresser. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it, bringeth, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not What his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. In this passage, Jesus is preparing his disciples for coming days of fruitfulness. In John 14, 12, he actually forecasts that they are going to do greater works than he did, he said, because he was going on to his Father. They were going to long outlive Christ in their ongoing earthly ministry and would be fruitful. The face-to-face fellowship that they had enjoyed for their Christ's three years of ministry was soon to change. Very quickly, just really right after chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 in John's gospel, Christ is going to go to the cross. He'll die there for our sins. He'll be buried. He'll rise again. And then for 40 days, he'll have his post-resurrection ministry And then he'll ascend back to the Father. Ten days after that, the Holy Spirit will come at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so this relationship is soon to change. 
And it's actually going to deepen by his disappearance, by his going back to his Father in heaven. And so he is imploring them to abide in him. The word abide really is the word remain or continue. And what he wanted them to do was to continue on in heart-to-heart fellowship with him. When the Holy Spirit would come, uh, he in a sense would be the one who now comes alongside of them and makes the things of God real to them. He is actually called the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8. And if one does not have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit living within him, the Bible says he is none of his. And so this is to be an ongoing, developing, deepening relationship between Christ and his followers, even though he was going to be physically away from them. The pattern of the true disciple goes like this. It is a, it is a pattern of faith, of following, of fellowship, which grows into even a closer friendship, and out of all of that comes fruitfulness. This is what a true disciple experiences throughout the course of his or her life. Each one of us has just one life to live productively and fruitfully for the glory of God. And so I believe this passage teaches us how to achieve this maximum productivity, this maximum fruitfulness in our lives. What does it mean to abide in Christ? And a simple definition uh, is given to us, or at least a statement by F.B. Meyer that is, to me, quite uh, profound. He says, true union with Him, with Christ, produces a temper, a disposition, a ripe and mellow experience which certainly indicate that Christ is within. You cannot simulate the holy joy, the thoughtful love, the tranquil serenity, the strong self-control which marks the soul that is in real union with Christ. To abide in Christ. There are three really big words that occur in this, in this passage repeatedly. One is abide, uh, one is fruit or fruitfulness, one is love. And you'll see those, and you might want to track those down later and see how many times they occur in this passage, and we'll, we'll try to tie those <clears throat> together. I've got to tell you that I like fruit, okay? Fruit's a big part of my life. Uh, every morning for breakfast, especially when I'm home, I mix together uh, about five or six different types of healthy cereals in my cereal bowl, and then I'll put a, usually a half a banana on that, cut up in little chunks, and, and if I have them, and we have them right now, strawberries and blueberries, I mix all that together and put 2% milk on it. I have my glass of orange juice, my men's vitamin, and my fish oil pill, and uh, I love that for breakfast. I can eat that 365 days a year. I just love fruit. Uh, almost every day I bring to the office an apple, and a, a little clementine, a small orange that's easy to peel. 
And I've already had my apple this morning. A lot of times when, I, when I'm preaching, I eat an apple just before I preach to give me that little sugar kick, you know, that I need. And, um, and even when I'm somewhere in a church somewhere, I'll oftentimes sneak off and I'll eat my apple just before I preach because I just love fruit. I think it's such a blessing to have uh, fruit in life. The fruit in view here in this patch is, of course, is, gra- is grapes. It's a vineyard. And when I was growing up, my, my dad always had grapevines growing on our chain link fence, uh, white grapes, purple grapes. We had a trellis with muscadines uh, on it, which is a very rich type of, not exactly a grape, but it's very rich with a thick uh, peeling on it. My dad loved to watch things grow. He kind of grew up in farming territory. And so I learned a few lessons along the way from my dad about the value of that uh, of the whole process of, of raising things. Do you, have you ever realized when you, when you just eat a, you know, you're in the dining common or somewhere and you, you, you bite into a, a grape, do you ever stop and think how much work actually went into producing that, how much time, how much care, all of that? Sometimes when I look at my cereal bowl and I see all the different types of grains in there and I think of the blessed cow that gave that 2% milk, I guess it wasn't 2% at the time, and... Um, and uh, where the orange grows were that produced that orange juice and how those strawberries got to my table and those blueberries and those bananas usually from Central America. You know, it's just, it's, and it's just so simple. I can put all that together in one or two minutes and enjoy it in five or ten minutes and, and, and I'm on my way and I love it and it's so nutritious. You know, God wants us in our walk with Christ to live a very fruitful life. He wants us to enjoy abundant life. He wants us to see our productivity increase over the years. The opportunities of influence for Christ and the gospel, that that grows hopefully over the years. And so each one of us are then responsible to him for what we do. The identification of fruitfulness we find in this chapter is, starts out, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. This was uh, really in contrast in the context here to Israel, which uh, oftentimes was not a very productive vine. You know, the vine was to Israel what the eagle is to the United States of America. It's our national symbol, if you will. And so, In this context where Christ was speaking, it would be a very common thing to see vines and vineyards and see grapes growing. Christ, in contrast to Israel, was the the true vine, and he says, my father is the vine dresser. And so the Lord Jesus, the vine, the trunk, if you will, and he says, we as believers, his followers, his disciples, are like the branches. What do we mean by, by fruit, spiritually speaking? What are we talking about? The, the grapes, if you will, the results, the outcome, the produce, that which sweetens and satisfies us. George Reith put it this way. This is a beautiful quotation. It's a little long. It's a little complex, but I think it will enrich our understanding of what fruit is spiritually. George Reith says fruitfulness is the entire and various outcome of the Christian life. Christian character, conduct, active and passive virtues, 
a consecrated manhood. We could say a consecrated womanhood. Body, soul, and spirit possessed and penetrated by the Spirit of God. It is the life of Christ conveyed into us by His Spirit. And like the distilling of the sap into grapes in the tree, he says it is transmuted into individual gift and grace, individual character for Christ. Simply put, I would define fruitfulness as being both Christ-likeness and conversions. Christ-likeness, that is the cultivation of a Spirit-filled, spiritually fruit-bearing life. Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, faith, patience. It talks about all of these character qualities that Christ cultivates in our lives, and we, we grow into gradually. Not only does it have to do with character transformation, but it has to do with gospel influence. We call it conversions. Jesus said in John 4, in the passage that Dr. Vincent so wonderfully preached from at Bible conference in verse 35, speaks of gathering fruit unto eternal life. There were lots of people converted to Christ when the now converted Samaritan woman brought them to Jesus, and many believed on him because not only of her word, but because of Christ's word. Wouldn't you love at the end of your life to look back and be able to reflect upon those that you've had direct influence on in bringing people to Christ? Wouldn't not you love to, in your lifetime, lead potentially scores of people to Jesus Christ through your own praying, through your witnessing? It's a process. Just like fruit, you know, cultivating fruit in a garden or on trees, that, that takes time. I remember as a boy going up and grew up partly in, uh, for some time in Huntsville, Alabama, as kind of an elementary age junior high boy, and we'd go up uh, in North Huntsville to a place called Knob Hill, and there would be plum trees there, and there'd be blackberry uh, bushes growing, and we, it never occurred to me this was somebody else's property, honestly, it just kind of looked like it was growing wild. We'd go up and pick blackberries, and we'd pick plums at times, and there were times you could just go up to the plum tree and just tap a plum and it would just fall right into your hand. I love that. That's when they're the most delicious. And, and sometimes we experience that in our lives when they're talking to people about the Lord and witnessing and it. That God has so prepared that person. Others have witnessed, others have prayed, and we just happen to be at the right place at the right time. And, and it's not even hard. That person wants to be saved. And we have the privilege of leading them to Christ in, in those moments. So it's teamwork. God's work is teamwork. We're working together in this field to influence others both at home and abroad for the sake of their conversion. And I believe this is what was going to take place in just really a very short period of time, 50 days approximately from when this passage is written, is when the 3,000 people were converted at Pentecost, and God used someone like Peter and others to proclaim the gospel to an audience that was ready, that had observed the life and ministry and the, the death and resurrection of Christ, and when he proclaimed the gospel to them at Pentecost there on the south side of 
uh, the steps at Jerusalem, then thousands of people came to him and they were just ready and ripe for the picking, if you will, when they came to Christ on that day. And so Christ-likeness and conversions, working hand in hand, is what we're talking about in fruitfulness. Verse 16, Jesus says that fruitfulness is imperative. He makes it emphatically clear. He says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And for what purpose have I chosen you? That you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. A life of fruitfulness is an imperative. It is a command. It is not an option. In fact, he says, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. We're not just talking about a a little piece of fruit here and a little piece of fruit there and just something to kind of tide us over, but we're talking about a great harvest of righteousness that comes from a life that is totally dedicated to Jesus Christ. In this passage, we see levels of fruitfulness. The Father is cultivating this vineyard, and at times he'll discover there, there's no fruit. Verse 2, verse 6. In fact, what happens is, is that branches that are not producing fruit are pruned away totally, and it says they're cast into a fire. I cannot help but think this kind of forecast what the writer of the Gospel of John would say at the end of the book of Revelation, which he also authored under inspiration, when he talks about the, the lake of fire and the great white throne judgment there. Let me say this, if there's no fruit in your life, if there's nothing going on in a connected relationship with Jesus Christ, if there's no sense of tenderness, there's no sense of remorse or prick of conscience or change of behavior, or confession of sin, and you can go on and on in your sin, unconvicted, unconfessed, unchanged, I cannot help but draw a conclusion that you're very likely unconverted if there's no fruit in your life. And your end is perdition if you never come to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Genuine conversion produces a change of life. And then there's fruit. There's fruit. Every branch in me, he says, that beareth fruit, says he purgeth it. So you start out, you start growing in your Christian life, and you start making progress, and you start seeing your heart change, and your life change, and your behavior change, and your attitudes, and your desires change. And, and you get really serious about going forward for God. And then he comes in and begins to kind of do some pruning. My dad would do this with grapevines. He would, he would at times, he would go out at lunchtime when he would come home from, and he would, he would do this with his hand at times. He would just pick off little, he would call them suckers. In other words, what we're trying to produce on a grapevine is not foliage, but it is fruit. Leaves are fine, but you're not out there to grow leaves. You're out there to grow grapes. And so he wants to pick off anything then that's from our lives that's going to, to keep the sap going in the right direction toward genuine fruitfulness. Then it seasons in, the, in, in, grape, in, in, in working with vineyards. People, of course, you know, go in and they, they cut it way back. So that next growing season, there's even greater 
fruitfulness. And God does that in your life, and he does that in my life. Verse 3, he says, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. This relates to pruning, to purging. So God, by his grace, through his word, through preachers and teachers, your own Bible reading, your interaction with your friends, God comes in, he takes his word, and he, he clips off of things in our lives that, that are really not going to be very productive. Sometimes you're going to find in your schedule that you've let a habit or a hobby or a, a side pursuit distract you over much so it's not just a little break from the routine, but it's actually an all-consuming thing. That can be any number of things in our lives. It can be, it can be in an inordinate, giving an inordinate amount of your life to recreation or to sports or to media. Or, or you can name any other habit. Any other, actually at times not wrong thing, but just over much time being spent on something that's not actually the main purpose of your life. And so there's pruning. And then we bear more fruit, he says. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. We're growing now. We're making progress. We're seeing some people come under the conviction of their sin. We're, we're having some gospel influence. We're on a mission team. We're on an, uh, an outreach ministry. We're, we're enjoying that. Our life is growing. We're understanding the Word of God more and more. But he still wants us to go to a higher level, which is, which is much fruit. And the way we get there is by praying. It's a certain kind of praying. It's actually asking. So I like to put it like this. Between fruit and more fruit is pruning. Between more fruit and much fruit is praying. It's a certain kind of praying. It's asking. It's bringing a large petition to the Lord. It's the big ask. It's, oh God, would you please do this special thing for me? Would you please make it possible for me to see something, to go somewhere, to help someone, to have an impact? This can be praying for relatives to come to Christ. This can be praying for hardened people to come to Christ. The big ask, if you will, that he really wants us to go for. Ask. James says you have not because you ask not. And you ask and receive not that because you're selfish in your pursuits. But when we're asking something for God's glory, then... God loves to answer prayers like that. He wants us to bear much fruit and lasting fruit at that. And all of this is then for his glory as the Father has cultivated the vineyard of our life for the purpose of fruit bearing. And he gets all the glory for it. There are some ingredients of fruitfulness, how we get there. Rapidly, I'll have to cover these. He says in verse 7, he said, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. There's the, there's the ingredient, if you will, of meditation, that is, of reflecting. This is our 
for us, this would be our, our daily Bible reading, our, our scripture memory, our reflecting upon what God is teaching us. This is our applying the truth of God's Word to our lives. This is our personally seeking after Christ. It's meditating. And then based upon our understanding of God's will, His plan, His purpose, His Word, then we come and we have the privilege to ask Him, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. When I was a young faculty member here at BJU, I began to understand the ministry. I'd been a student here for four years. I'd heard a lot uh, in chapel. I'd been around the place. I took a lot of classes undergrad and, and I, not only Bible, but also in education. And then I came in as a GA for one year and then went full-time after that. And I was going to faculty meetings. I was hanging around with administrators. I was picking their brains. I was growing in my understanding. And there would be a, like a company manual or an office manual. You would learn a bit more about the policies. And I was growing in my understanding. And I found over the years, if I found myself to be a loyal employee who wanted to advance the mission of the university, and if I understood it, then I could go to a superior and I could make a proposal and perhaps they would at that time or some later time. And I have found that, that actually the proposals I've made over the years have become my job description. Because they say, well, if you're burdened about that, then why don't you do that? And we'll be glad to help you do that. I think you'll find the same to be true in your life and ministry wherever you go. If you understand who you're working for and what they're trying to accomplish, they very likely will be glad to empower you, enable you to accomplish some of those things that you have a, a burden for. Jesus does that in the body of Christ, in the forward progress of the gospel. If my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. There's another aspect here, and that's that of loving. I really wish I had a lot of time to develop this. The Christian life takes place in the context of loving relationships. A relationship of love with Christ and a relationship of love with our fellow believer. We're not in competition with anyone. We should seek to be our best and do our best, but not to be better than someone else. And when we have loving, genuinely loving relationships with one another, then it's in that context that much fruit comes. And with regard to our relationship with Christ in particular, that is also to be a relationship of obedience. He loves us. He desires that we love Him. He's actually taken us into his, his, a relationship with Him that He says, you are my friend. He says, I have allowed you to enter intelligently into an understanding. He's telling His disciples here, all the things that the Father has made known unto me, I have made known unto you. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. With that inside look at life and ministry, then He expects us to live in loyal obedience to Him. You know, in our relationship with Christ, there is no incongruity, 
There is no competition between his lordship and his friendship with us. I have had over the many years here at BJ, I've had many older friends, actually often superiors, and I knew they loved me, and, and I knew they counted me as a friend, and I certainly counted them as a friend. But I was, I was never confused about who was in charge. They were, they were in charge, and they could give me directives. But because I loved them, I wanted to obey them, and I didn't want to do anything to displease them. So the ingredients of fruitfulness come down to some simple ideas of meditating, asking, loving, and obeying. You have your whole life in front of you. You will be known by your character, by your Christ-like character, or the lack thereof. You have the opportunity to live a life of much fruit-bearing, maximum productivity. And you can get there by God's grace. He'll be the one that will work it in and through your life. You cannot do it without Him. But with God, all things are possible. So I implore you, live a life of maximum fruitfulness. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we can reflect even briefly on these words from your word this morning. And we pray that you would work in us by your grace, by your spirit, for your glory, much fruitfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.